It's actually about the constant, constant understanding, learning, action, experience, feedback. Like you go through this motion and the more you do it, the better you get. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Wayne McCulloch. Wayne, welcome back to the show. Oh yeah, it feels like old times because it's my second time here. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Hey, my pleasure. So for the audience, Wayne was the very first guest ever on the B2B Leadership Podcast. We had an incredible conversation. I got so much positive feedback from that. And a lot has changed in your life, which we're going to dig into. And so I felt it was important for you to be the first repeat guest on the B2B Leadership Podcast. So thank you for coming back and spending some time with me. It's my pleasure. I'm super humbled. Thank you, Nils, for the opportunity. Awesome. So, Wayne, right after we recorded our last session, you told me about the transition you were making. You were previously working for one company, and then you said you were about to take on a major new role with a new organization. Why don't you share with us what the role was and what's the company that you joined? So I am the first chief customer officer at a newly IPO'd company called WalkMe, which actually I'm surprised at how many people know the brand walk me might not necessarily know exactly what we do or what we do now versus five years ago but it's actually resonates with people when i say walk me they're like oh i know that or i've heard of them or i've used that and it's actually surprising because you know it's not it's not a massive company i mean it's public so obviously it's doing some good things but yeah it's always interesting when you say walk me most people nod their head and go oh yeah kind of know what that is so that's pretty cool I was in that exact same camp. I knew some people had worked there many years ago, was very familiar with the brand. Why don't you share a little bit about what's different about WalkMe now as opposed to five years ago, and that'll lead into some of why you joined, and we'll get into it from there. Yeah, I think, you know, most people, probably 90% of the people I talk to, including myself, when I was looking at this opportunity, thinks of WalkMe as sort of this in-app guidance tool, and it really was born out of a need to help users navigate. And the co-founder of the company's you know, mother called him up and said, hey, I'm trying to transact on a bank website. I can't work out. Can you walk me through how to do that? And so that happened time after time. And suddenly the person's like, hey, uh, probably there's an opportunity here because when you think about it, every bank website you go to, hey, you do stuff's different. It looks different. The UI is different. They have their own cool, what the way they want to do it. And then you want to contact them. That's a It's a floating chat sort of widget in the corner or it's a menu option or you scroll to the bottom of the screen and ultimately what happens is it's confusing every experience is different depending on which banking website you go to now imagine that inside a company where you deploy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these cloud-based apps to do your job whether it's salesforce or workday or success factors or concur or reba or homegrown applicate like you are inundated with different uis different menu systems different so imagine trying to learn that 
And then layer on top the fact these products pride themselves on, we're in the cloud, we update every week. And I'm like, well, that's horrible as a user because it keeps changing. And then overlay on top of that, your business processes and practices, they change, right? So so being in-app guidance means it's a new way of thinking. Like don't take people out and put them in training. Those days are gone of the five-day training class, right? But then we got to the, well, let's do a one-hour webinar. I'm like, who has an hour to go learn how to do something that's going to change next week? I'm not going to retain it. The whole concept so seems so out of date now. It's like, rather than me try to adapt to this process, the process should adapt to me. If I'm a new user, it should guide me on what I need to do. If I'm an experienced user, it should get out of the way and let me go do it. If something changes, it should highlight it to me and say, you need to use, like, that's what WalkMe does, right? That's what everyone knows. However, when I look deeper into it, I'm like, oh, it's actually not really about the in-app guidance. It's about all the data that gets collected about all these processes in your business. So one of the cool things that walk me that I love is when you're looking at you know a particular process, it tells you how long it takes for people to complete it. It tells you there's a problem. It's taking too long. It actually zeroes in on the form and says, here's the field that people are getting stuck. They're creating errors. It's sort of saying wrong. You can't do that. And, and people are dropping out at that point and going somewhere else and asking other people. Like, it tells you all this data. And then with a click of a button, I can go in, make a change, display some more information, link to a different sort of document or whatever it is. And then I can say, what I just did, what was the impact? Oh, we've now shortened the process one minute from what it used to take because of your 15 seconds. So now I can actually quantify the value, the ROI of me spending 15 seconds on fixing this problem generated X number of minutes savings per day, per week, per month, per year. Like you can start to now literally quantify what the impact is you're having, but at the same time, fixing all these broken processes. Imagine cross-platform processes. Like some companies can actually do it for their product, but what if I interact with three products? I'm going from Salesforce into NetSuite into Concur or something. And then, so we're able to actually give you a full holistic view of how your whole digital adoption sort of programs are working. Are people using it? And if they're using it, are they using it properly? If they're using it properly, is it optimized? And then take action to fix it. So for me, when I think about WalkMe, I'm like, one of our challenges is how do you shift from everyone thinking they know what you do in app guidance, right? to something way more impactful, way more sophisticated. That's a challenge in itself, especially when you're growing a software category. And that's one of our challenges. And hopefully we're up for the challenge. I think we are. That sounds like an incredibly fun challenge because I honestly didn't have the full view into that transformation. But just hearing you tell that story with the passion that you do makes me infinitely more interested in learning how this has happened. So I'm glad I got a little update and primer and the audience did too. Now, you mentioned you were the first chief customer officer at WalkMe. What was going on inside of WalkMe where you started having conversations and they had identified the need that they needed a CCO? Yeah, I think a lot of companies are getting to this point either through a need, like their business is telling them this is necessary, or some some companies get ahead of it. They're like, oh, I'm seeing this trend. Let's jump on it now. And of course, some companies will resist as long as they can. But the cool thing about a chief customer officer role is it's really gaining momentum as a C-suite, you know, seat at the table executive that has a very, very impactful role even outside of software. So we're seeing companies like Under Armour or McDonald's, they're putting in chief customer offices, right? Because our businesses revolve around the customer and we've said it for years, but when you actually think about who in the org is responsible, I've got 
professional services, they have a little bit. I've got support. They have a little bit of customer interaction. I've got customer success. I've got training. I've got marketing. I've got sales. I've got all these groups are touching a customer, but they're not united under you know, a common platform, common framework, common customer journey, common comp plans. There's all these things that if you can get that alignment, the power of your organization is, you know, exponential as it comes to customer experience and outcomes. And so for WalkMe, it was, you know, we're growing really fast, growing really fast. I mean, we're, you know, IPOing, like, and we're continuing to accelerate our growth. And you think about the challenges then of, I'm just trying to hire to keep up and I'm always behind. We're in that position now. I've 40 odd positions open right now. We're about to open another 20. And I'm like, just adding 60 new people in the next few months. That's because customers are coming in the door really quickly. So what happens is you get gaps in your customer journey. You get inconsistent experiences. And I remember when I signed to join and I gave three months notice at, at Google, I was trying to be respectful of my team. I have, I have a big passion about people don't remember how you arrive. They always remember how you leave. And when people give two weeks notice or three weeks notice, I always go, really? Like, you think that little of your peers that are going to have to pick up the piece, you're so keen to get out of here that you forget that you've built these relationships inside the company and you have people have been depending on you and it's okay to leave if that's the right move, but don't give two weeks notice. Like, what is that about? Like, so for me, so I gave three months notice. That's a personal thing, by the way. I'm not saying that's a rule or anything. So don't, don't feel bad if you gave two weeks notice because I've certainly done that in my career, but I've realized that that's really important how you leave. And so in that three-month period, you know, I got to learn a lot about the company, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but ultimately it's that inconsistency of experience. Like why do people leave? If it's such a great product, companies buy more and more of it. We have an amazing land and expand story and it's what's propelling the growth. So why would a customer ever leave when it's the same product, walk me, on the same application, Workday, and yet one customer has amazing outcomes and the other doesn't. And usually it just comes down to the experience. Like it's the same product and it's the same problem. So it's the people that are implementing, supporting, advising, guiding, educating. Those experiences is what enables success and outcomes to happen. It's not the product itself. If one company can have an amazing outcome and one other company want with the same products, it's clearly something else and it's the experience. And so I think the recognition at WalkMe is we're growing really quickly and some customers are not having the same experience that others are. We want every customer to have that same successful experience. A chief customer officer has to come in and go work that out. Love it. That's the perfect summation of the things that can be solved and things that can't be solved by technology. And there's a complement always between technology and the people side of it. And I know that's going to play a big part in the second half of our conversation. We talked about the investment that you're making in your people. But first, I'm kind of curious. So coming in as the first C-level customer owner, CCO in a publicly traded company, it's only been a handful of months, five months at this point at the time of our recording. So tell us a little bit about what you found and what it was like. And, you know, did you even read the book, the first 90 days? Like, what was your experience like going into this environment, which most people might take a step back and be like, wow, what on earth do you even do when you get into that kind of a situation? Well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I gave three months notice, but in that three months gave me a really unique opportunity to explore what it was like to interact with the brand. So I pretended to be a prospect. 
I went, watched a webinar, I downloaded a white paper, I requested more information. I was trying to find out how am I going to be nurtured? How am I going to be spoken to from the company? How are they going to listen to what I'm saying? Like I just literally was taking them down the the sales route because I wanted to understand the initial pipeline. A chief customer officer's job is to take it from the sales team when it's a new logo and then make it successful, right? But actually the relationship starts when the person first interacts with the brand, like interacts with the brand. That's that's where it starts. And I need to know that as a chief customer because I need to know what experience they've had before they get to me because that also might change the way that I behave with that customer. So I was also able to emulate being a customer. So I'm like, oh, hey, Tim, I'm joining soon. Can I get access to some stuff, some credentials? So check out the community, look at the release notes, check out the tech pubs, go into the marketplace, go into the the, the Digital Adoption Institute, like be part of the community, do all the things a customer would to try to get a feel. And then the third thing I did was I hired a third-party company to go interview everyone that had left. Talk to every customer that has left WalkMe in the last 12 months. And I've worked with a company called Third Side. I've used them many times before. They're really good at this, right? Because like when you ask a customer why they left, they're not going to tell you the truth, right? Because they don't want to get someone in trouble or they think you're trying to get back in. Like there's tons of reasons why. They're not bad people. They're just like rarely do you get the truth. But when you have a third party company come in and I ask questions like, can you just tell us about your experience during the sales cycle? What was your experience when you had a support ticket or an escalation? Tell us about the experience of it learning and enabling the tech. We never ask, why did you leave WalkMe? We just ask, what was your experiences? And the day I joined, so three months later, I joined. I've got a great idea of what the sales experience is like. I've got a good idea of what it's like to be a customer. I've got a thousand ideas, like where we can make improvements, right? But then I overlay the feedback from customers that had left. And some of them were very specific about their challenges and very verbose about their challenges. And it's sad to read, but it does happen. And and for me, we're able to identify eight common experiences that all the churn customers went through. And I call it a churn journey map, right? Everyone does a journey map. We're going to onboard, we're going to implement, they're going to like get value, then they're going to renew, then they're going to expand. And I'm like, that's cool. That's what we want to happen. But that's not the journey these people went on, right? These people went on a different journey. And so for me, understanding the churn journey and recognizing the patterns was like, I know the eight things I got to go fix immediately because customers generally don't leave for one reason. It's always death by a thousand cuts. Like this was a problem, uh, erodes my loyalty a bit, my excitement, another problem, another problem, another problem. And eventually they're like, I just don't want any more problems. Let's try someone else and see if they can do better. Sure, it might be a lesser quality product, but maybe the experience is better. And right now that's what I need. So so for me, I did all those things. And so day one, when I arrive, I'm armed with all this knowledge. I don't know what to do with it yet. Because the next thing I'm asked day one is, welcome. Now, we're going to need to see the 30, 60, 90 day plan. You know, the usual line, probably most people here on the- on Okay, the- hold on, hold on. Even, even the CCO- at a publicly traded company, first time that role has ever existed inside a company, they still ask for the 30-60-90. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those, it's like a standard question. Like, do you have customer success? Yes, we do. Oh, check. You must be customer centric. And you're like, hang on, probably need a few more questions. So this one's pretty standard. So I, I bought the book, The First 90 Days. It's actually a really good book. I recommend it to anyone going into a new role. There's some great tactics in there, talking about coming into a new company, understanding the culture, the language, the way they speak, all the things you should be conscious of. The only problem I had with the book is it's called The First 90 Days. 
Because when I'm asked to do a 30, 60, 90, I'm like, I don't know how you can gate a time on my understanding of the business and the conversations I have to have and the explorations I need to do. I'm guessing it's all about, uh, you just got to do something really quick, like look for the quick win or whatever. I don't need 30, 60, 90 to do that. So my only advice is like, great, 30, 60, 90 is fine. But the reality, if it takes 15 days, it takes 15 days. If it takes 60 days to do the first part, it takes 60 days. Don't rush it or don't just waste time. Take the appropriate amount of time to understand what's happening before you move on to the next phase. And so for me, I felt I was lucky that I had a bunch of insights the day I started. But what I discovered is as the first chief customer officer, the first thing that happens is I'm pulling in customer success, professional services, support. These teams have all been in different organizations, led by different leaders, had different metrics, and have optimized for their silo. That's not uncommon. That's actually pretty much how it works everywhere, right? Very difficult not to because of the fact you're in separate silos with different metrics and leaders and goals, right? And so I discovered early on that bringing these teams together, I needed more than 30 days to just do an initial review. So I had 155 one-on-ones with people, right? I had a number of teams, groups, small groups where we had sort of question and answer. Tell me, tell me where you're at. Tell me what you think's broken. Tell me what you like. Like it took a lot longer because it had never been done before. It was brand new. And so for me, the 30 days turned out to be a lot longer than 30 days, um, but also necessary. Anyway, long story short, I think, you know, coming on board and, and experiencing what it's like to come into something new. It's very different than if I had come in and someone had just left and there was a phone and I can say, okay, give me the reports, look at the, the the customer journey. How did they turn out in comp plans, territory assignments, capacity planning, CSAT scores, churn, expansion. Like you got all that here, but in, in my case, it was a little difficult because it actually wasn't all together and there were lots of different versions of the same data and all the problems you get with silo dogs. I mean, just having that massive amount of data from your churn customer journey, which I love that term. I don't think I've ever heard anybody else talk about it that way. On day one, and having so much insight from your experience and your research, but as you noted, you said, I didn't know exactly what to do with it. It took me some time. That's okay, right? Yeah, I didn't come out blasting saying, here's what we found. I'm like, I've got some data now. To me, it's saying clearly there's some gaps, right? But now the next step is to hear the employees, is to hear people in the company explain their version of what the change is. They don't know they're doing it, but I'm like, you know, what's broken? And they're like, well, if I if, if the CS team would put this in the system or I could get this data from finance, I could have done this for a customer, right? And then I look at my churn journey, I'm like, oh, that's this piece right here, right? And I could start to piece together. And you know what I found? Hmm. Collectively, everyone identified the churn journey map, but they identified one slither of their part of the journey. But it was awesome to see the bits fall into place. Like I'm just literally asking people questions, very open-ended. But when I review the notes, I'm like, that that's represented here in the churn journey. That's here, that's here, that's here. And you start to say, okay, this is consistent. That's good. It's horrible it's happening, but it's consistent. That's a good sign. And what's even better is the team is able to articulate the problem. So this isn't an unknown thing. The team actually knows what's wrong and they actually have an idea of how to fix it. And so the next challenge in my 30, 60, 90, which I think we're at day 87 right now in my 30 day, but the next challenge then is how do I create solutions that are consumable at this scale? 
And that was that in itself was a big, big learning for me and a huge opportunity for my org. I just want to like reinforce also the fact that by having that data that gave you kind of the litmus test to understand what everybody was saying in their individual silos, you also built, I'm guessing, a tremendous amount of trust because you asked questions rather than told first, right? So that's a very powerful thing. We talked about that on our last episode, the power of asking questions and not having the answers. But you also gave them an ownership stake, whether they knew it or not, in the solutions that were going to take form. I mean, I'm sure they've been asked previously by various other leaders what's not working, and then they told them and then nothing ever happened. However, when they shared this with you and you knew that it was lining up to the churn customer map, then you also knew there were going to be some major changes. And when those changes get made, the people who gave you the input feel a tremendous connection to that and are like, wow, Wayne actually got this done when we've tried before and it's never worked. Yeah, I think for me, it was one of the big learning parts of at least you know the first five months here at the company was after that initial you know conversations with everyone in the org, it really came down to what I think was they had the answers. So my job was a lot easier at that point, right? And I think the pivotal moment came for me when I presented sort of my, I've been on the job for a couple of months. Here's where I'm at. Like, here's what I've heard. I'm not saying anything. I'm not committing to anything, but I'm just giving you the feedback. So I'm very, very transparent, the good and the bad. And one of the things I said is here's the top 16 things I hear, the top 16 challenges across all the teams inside the chief customer officer org, but also outside. Here are the top 16 things. And, and I'm here to tell you that I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to these. I have, haven't been here long enough. I don't know the systems, the tools, the product, the marketplace. I'm still learning, right? So I don't know the answer. But the good news is you all know the answer. You told me the answer. I've collected all the answers. So I, it's not me, it's you. And so we set out on a five-week program across the 16, broken out into 31 work groups, 177 people globally from every function represented, got to work on the strategy to fix the problem. So define it talk about what happens when we fix it, describe what it is we need to go do, and the asks, which is how do we make it real? And and I got so much amazing information. I built the whole 2022 plan pretty much from those work groups. So when I'm presenting back the plan just recently for the year, people are looking at it going, well, that was my idea, or I worked on that. Well, that, that's what we wanted to do. And, and so it's amazing because again, people are like, uh, why did we hire Wayne? Because didn't everyone just work it all out? But the value I bring is not the answers to the problems. The team knows the answers. The opportunity I have is now how do I make it real? Because these people know the answers, but they can't affect the change. They can't change the IT strategy, the budget from finance. They just can't, right? Their job is to work with customers and they have the best idea. So my job very clearly is how do I remove the obstacles in the way of the people solving the problems? Is it technology, people, process, you know, ego, whatever it is, right? My job is to solve that. My job is not to give them the answers. They already have the answers. So for me, I've got three years worth of journey built out. And we said, here's where we're going to be in three years. And it looks amazing. And I can't wait. But I got to wait because we got to do a bunch of stuff first. So year one, we're going to tackle this. So even if people had great ideas and it wasn't in the plan for this year, I was able to signal, but it's in the plan eventually. Like we just can't get there yet because we've got to fix some stuff first to make that possible or easy or real or whatever it was. So for me, that was a really big learning as a leader that at scale, well, for me, scale came from Google. So scale is very different, but involving most of my organization in setting the plan for the year and people having the opportunity to be heard, 
to contribute to actually design some of these great innovations I would never thought of, to be honest. And then this year, get an opportunity to actually help implement it, to lead the project. And so for me, that, you know, huge learning as a leader. And again, every time we do this, this is like my third time as a CCO. Every time you do it, you get smarter, you get better, you learn from it, like that didn't work, that worked. And so that's, you're just lucky that um, you get to do this multiple times, you get better and better each time. I guess lucky for Walk Me, it's not my first or second time. So I kind of know some things not to do and do, but ultimately, you know, this organization now I think is on a really strong path to create amazing experiences and outcomes for customers because the people that care the most got to design how we go do that. I can't wait to come back a year from now and just say, here's where we're at. This is the change that you've seen because not me, because of the, the team and the people. Well, obviously I have a part, which is to make the opportunity real, but ultimately the team's driving it. And that's pretty cool. That's amazing. I mean, that was a masterclass in how to drive a massive global transformation, starting from zero, building out an entire plan that engages a several, you know, thousand person organization in one of the biggest transformations that the company's ever gone through. Just absolutely brilliant. Love it. Yeah. And, and by the way, did it all without one meeting. I didn't have one meeting with anyone during that process. It was all done through collaborative, productive means, like using Google, basically using Workspace. People can actually write down what they're doing. I can jump in, ask questions. They can ask me questions. So I'm across 31 different documents, jumping in and out, answering questions, asking questions myself to get clarity, guiding, and and I'm doing it all without having a meeting. So imagine being across 31 initiatives concurrently running you know, with teams globally from all different functions, different time zones, and you're able to participate as are the people without having a meeting. Again, a huge lesson in productivity and how to go do it because most people have just, let's set up a meeting, let's get together. There are actually two teams that wanted a kickoff meeting and two weeks into the five weeks they hadn't started because they were trying to find a time when everyone globally could get on a call. And it was a great lesson to say the teams that jumped into it, use the technology available today with chats and Slack and Google Docs and everything. They just hums along and got to answers and solutions real fast. You don't have to always have a meeting. I know people talk about that all the time. It's really hard to do. Think of how many meetings you have where people are presenting to you. And I'm always like, if you want to present an idea or something to me, send me the document ahead of time. I'll ask the questions. We recently had an opportunity where the PS team had a great idea for this new team to be created. They sent me the doc. I asked two questions. They answered. I said, done, go do it. Didn't even get on a call. Efficiency at its finest. We have the ability to do this. You just have to put it into action. And my team's been amazing at doing that. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. You've talked about your team numerous times already and what an important element they are. They had the answers. You asked them the questions. They've been involved. 170 teams across the world. Just amazing collaboration, not a single meeting. So I know that you made a very significant bet 
with regards in this first few months of being in the CCO role. Would you tell us a little bit about that bet and why you chose that particular area to go deep on and invest in more than anything else in your org? Yeah, well, I think anyone who's worked in my organization before knows, I actually believe this. Most people say it, it's like, oh, are you customer centric? Yeah, we're customer centric. But when you dig into it, they're not really, like they don't, they don't have tools, processes or approaches that, that suggest that. But for me, like you win with people, I get that. You don't have to have the best technology to win. I think we happen to have the best technology, but I also want to make sure we have the best people. And so you win with people and, you know, customer success through employee success is a mantra that many others have used, including myself. And I really believe it. And so that's why it took so long in the 30s, 60s, 90s, because I was spending time with the people, because that's actually how you're going to win, not the process or the new cool offering or the idea or the new pricing model you have. Sure, they're really important, but without the people, it doesn't work. Like, it's pretty obvious. That's, you know, everyone, again, everyone will say that. So the question is, what are you doing that demonstrates you believe that? So the very first investment I made was in the people, wasn't in a technology or a tool or a process. And the first group of people I made the investment in were every single person manager in my org. If you manage people, then you are the first person I was going to invest in. And so across my entire global org, which is a third of the entire company, every single people manager is sort of being grouped into doing something called a B2B Leadership Academy, which we'll talk about in a second. But for me, it's investing in those people. Why? Well, one of the things I've learned in my career, I didn't always believe this, didn't know this, then I didn't believe it. Now I'm a convert, right? Which is, you know, working at Salesforce and understanding all the effort they put into how do we enable and have a fast growing, highly engaged, effective workforce that's growing at an unbelievable scale like, like Salesforce were back then. And how do you do that effectively? And you had all these other McKinsey and Accenture, everyone coming and doing all this stuff. Then you layer on Google. Google's done incredible amount of research into you know, what makes a high-performing organization. And so I pull all this together and my other experiences with Looker and Kony and HP and other companies over time. And, and I understand now truly that your organization is as strong as your, your managers. So the reason being that if you have great managers, they know how to coach, right? They don't tell people what to do or how to do it. They coach them, they grow them, they create the next set of leaders or create A players and collaborative teams. Like when you invest in the leaders, you invest in everybody. So rather than try to afford a massively expensive program to train all third of the company, I took the manager and said, you're going to be the first. And it's not just a token, we're going to put you through a two-day leadership training class, which most people, companies do, and they check the box. Leadership training, done. Investing in my people, done. Like, And the reality is we know that doesn't work, right? You need a consistent program that doesn't consist of days and days of sitting in a room and doing some activities and some simulations or whatever. It's actually about the constant constant understanding, learning, action, experience, feedback, learning, like you go through this motion and the more you do it, the better you get, the more you learn. And so, so I searched high and low. I like to say I didn't really, like I kind of already knew, like there's only several places you can go that has a program that's that impactful, 12 months long. It has workbooks, it has content, it has assessments, it has flexibility on what you're learning so new people can come into the program and not be behind. Like there's there's very few programs that exist today like that. So we ended up going with this great one. I re highly recommend it to you, Niels. We invite you in to the organization and run your program, which I'm, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with it. I'm, I'm happy to, to go through it. But ultimately what it was is I needed something that 
that up-leveled my leaders. We're a fast-growing company. This is some people's first or second job, and now they're in first-line or second-line leadership. They haven't had a lot of investment. We haven't had time. We haven't had budget. It's a small startup growing quickly. This might sound familiar to people in the startup world. Like you just, but we're now we're a maturing company. We have big enterprise logos. We're a publicly traded company. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. So, so we got to have the best talent. And so it was a weird conversation saying, Hey, I'd like to go spend all this money that I don't have on this thing that we've never done. Is that okay? And so most people were good. Some people were all scratching their heads saying, this is what you want to do. Like this, you want to give up all this to do that? And the answer is emphatically, yes. This will provide the biggest impact to our customers, let alone our employees, by investing in this one thing right out of the gate. And so for me, that's where we started. And of course, we're only second month in. But the feedback from the leaders, the excitement that we're investing in the people, they're learning already, they're engaging, they're to me, it's just you feel, it's a feeling, like you feel the momentum, you feel this, the, the spirit of the organization begin to rise and begin to sort of have confidence and, and the people that see this sort of go, oh, that's kind of cool. I want to be part of that. Like, and the whole momentum changes where now, you know, when we open a role, we get people from all over our company wanting to come join our function because they see this investment and they want to be part of it. And, I just love the fact that we're able to get it done as a company. It, it, it shows the culture of the company, that the leadership, you know, everything, that this is what we're choosing to invest in. And it's a heavy investment in our people. And it's the first of many. So we've got many other programs for other personas and, and, and groups within my organization to be give them professional development and to allow them to be the best version of themselves they can be. Why? Because our customers deserve that and our employees deserve it too. So let's do it. Amazing. And so the program Wayne's talking about is the B2B Leaders Academy. This is the program that I created, that I run, and was designed to address the biggest challenges that I've seen and experienced from a leadership development perspective, many of which you just highlighted right there, Wayne. People typically think of leadership development as, oh, ship somebody off to two days or three days or five days, either in a virtual room or a physical room, and expect that you can cram them full of all kinds of information and then send them back to their work world and expect that they can just magically put it all into action. I've been there. It doesn't work anymore, right? And just like you were saying how meetings are no longer the, the way we do business, it's collaboration and it's worldwide. The same is true for this program, right? It's all about picking a focus every single month and then getting access to leadership tools that empower you to handle any situation. And when you implement those tools, you get results, but you're also going to have questions. So that's why I pair it with coaching with me every single week. And so you heard Wayne say that the single most important investment that he made in the first five months of being a CCO at a publicly traded company was in his people leaders because it has an exponential growth impact because they then can have a greater impact on the individuals. And he actually gets like a two for one deal here, whereas he invests in the leaders and the entire organization benefits. You know, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for entrusting me with this incredibly important responsibility. It is what I am driven to do and what I'm committed to do 100%. And and, you know, it has just been an absolute pleasure to work with the people leaders in your org. I'm curious, when you went to the leaders in the org and you had this budget ask, uh, we talked about how many people you had in your organization. There's a significant number of people leaders. There was a significant you know, investment that was going to be required. I'm curious, what was the response? You said a few people were okay, a few people were, you know, scratching their head, but you had to pull money from other parts. So how did you navigate that to make sure that this actually happened? 
Yeah, I think, you know, some people just trust. They, they grant me trust to say, this is your org and you have big plans and so we're going to get behind it, right? There are other people where you have to earn trust. So they're like, I don't know who this guy is. He's spending money pretty quick. Like, is this like... And so, you know, you gotta you gotta spend your time sort of explaining and taking them through why and the lessons you've learned and the evidence you've gathered over your career that sort of suggests that this is the right move. There is a little pocket of people who are to me, they're the people that are sort of not stuck in their ways, but they're just very comfortable where they're at. So I had one person push back a little and saying, oh, I don't think this is a good idea. And I'm like, well, why is that? And they're like, Well, because other functions are not doing it. So do you want to be doing something better than everyone else that might not look good? <laughs> I'm like, sorry. Like, yes, I do. <laughs> their, their heart's in the right place, which is like, let's not upset. Like there's a culture, there's a balance. What And, and what's happening is, like I said, people are drawing people into the org. So that damages other orgs, right? So that could be seen in a negative way if you're looking through one lens, which is why are you sucking the talent out of the rest of the company? Like, but, but the flip side is also true, which is, well, maybe it's going to lead the way and other leaders who may have wanted to do this or have struggled to be able to do it to just say, well, he's doing it, I'm going to do it too. And suddenly now it's easier for them to do what they already know to be the right thing to do, but they couldn't because of whatever constraint. Maybe that's a positive too. I think everyone has a different opinion. Ultimately, it only matters six, 12 months from now, the impact, the outcomes. And so to do that, just so everyone knows, we're setting a baseline. We're actually... Like you have assessments in your program so people can see where they're at and stuff. But I'm trying to take it one step further and actually allow my employees to rate their manager across a certain number of leadership characteristics, right? We're doing that to set the baseline. So I know where all my leaders are. It's not a, are you a good leader or not good leader? It doesn't matter. If you haven't been invested in, it's unfair to ask that question. It's unfair that you're managing people that may not have a great experience because you don't know. It's not fair to them either, but I don't blame the manager. The goal here is to see where everyone is at, put them through this program, baseline them again, benchmark them again against the baseline from their team and say, did we move the needle? Are they now coaching better? Do they now care? Are they creating psychological safety? Are they are they doing the things great managers do now? Because we invested all this money. So not only is it a guess out front just saying, I think this is going to be great based on my experience and data and evidence I've seen, but no one's seen it at WalkMe. Now I actually want to quantify it and actually show what was the improvement and the employees are going to tell me if it's a worthwhile investment or not. And the leaders will embrace it or not embrace it based on their own personal philosophies. But the opportunity is there to grow and become the best leader they can be through the program. And that's what I'm hoping. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. And having that baseline then in two sides, right? And in the program, we're focused on the assessment from the individual. And you're looking at this from the assessment from the people impacted by the individuals in the program. And that that is where the rubber meets the road. And that data will be absolutely incredibly valuable. I'm so excited that you're going down that path. And we will have that story to tell in six months and 12 months down the line, because I know for a fact in my heart that it will be significantly impacted. I can't wait to see the data behind it to prove it. So if there was a leader out there who is hearing this and saying, wow, okay, you know, Wayne, that's pretty cool. Like I'm impressed that you got this big a buy-in, putting every single people leader in your organization, 60 plus into this one program. Like 
I don't know if I could have the you know sway to get this behind us, or my people team has different ideas about leadership development than I do. What advice would you give them to get them on the path of thinking, you know, how to get as big of a multiplier in return as you have with your leaders in making this first bet? I think I can sum it up in my first conversation with my my leadership team about this. Hey team, I got a cool idea. Let's spend all this money we don't have to go do this thing that you've probably never seen before or done before because it's going to be awesome. And what it means is you're all going to have to give up a bunch of budget to make it happen. Why? Because HR has a budget for L&D and it's very small. It's not uncommon, right? I'm asking for a lot. And so rather than try to convince the company, the HR team, whatever, to now invest all this more money they haven't budgeted for, I'm actually going to put money where my mouth is and say, I'm going to sacrifice the things my team really knows that we need to do this. It's that important. It's not a question for me. I got to convince my leadership team why they're giving up four headcount for the year to go put their managers through a program. But I know that this is the right thing to do because I'm fortunate have done it and seen it before, right? So people who haven't. So if you have an L&D function like, oh, we have a different strategy, that's cool. Let's run with that. In fact, we have a coaching program at the company that's a, a corporate program. We have some people actually going through yours and that program to come back and say, here's the difference in the programs. This is where this might work better and this one might work better. That's cool. They'll do that. But the point is I'm investing. It's my budget. It's my dollars. And my leaders have given up and sacrificed to make it happen. So we're all in, like we're all invested. Like if people aren't showing up, if people aren't contributing, I don't think this is the right place for you because this is what we are asking is to be the best manager you can be for your team and, and your customers that the team supports. Like, so for me, it's it was really easy, but it's a sacrifice and you might have it too. Now, if this works and we show massive numbers and everything, maybe L&D gets a bigger budget next year and says, hey, we should do this for the company. This had a huge impact and a great, then cool. Maybe that's less impact on my budget, but it's not... You can't let the budget stop you. You you have the money. You just have to decide where to spend it. And for me, this was an easy bet to make because I've seen and I understand the impact it can have. Don't let the budget stop you. That is just, I think that's the absolute perfect place to wrap up our conversation. Because Wayne, I think you just covered it all. We got masterclass. We had, you know, understanding what it takes to really make a significant investment in the people leaders to get an exponentially greater investment in your team. And that's all about the power of leverage across the board, the collaboration and tools that you've used, the investment you've made in your people. And it's just, I'm super excited. Can't wait to have you back on the podcast again to have another update when we come to another major milestone down the line. If you'd like to learn more about the B2B Leaders Academy that Wayne and WalkMe have gotten behind and put every single people leader in Wayne's organization into, you simply go to B, the letter B, the number two and the letter B, leadersacademy.com. And you can find out all the details or hit reply on any of the emails that I send out. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you and your organization about whether or not this is a fit for your people leaders, because I'm all about growth and development of the people leaders, because if they become better leaders, the influence they have in their organization, if their teams becomes better, the companies get better and we all win. That's what the name of the game here is. And Wayne, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It has been a blast to find out what happens in the first five months of being a C-level executive at a publicly traded company and what it really takes to make an impact on people's lives and starting with the investment in the leaders. So thank you very much. No, thanks, Niels. I look forward to coming back and revealing what the outcomes were. 
Deal. You got it, man. We'll have an open place and you are always welcome back. All right, man. Take care. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.